Corey, how would you approach a match with Strowman? I'd probably go back to college. Good choice. This is your United States of America. It's a lumberjack match! And Strowman's been taken down! Why don't you take it back? The Shield is here! Let's do this right now! There we go! We like it! We really like it! S-A-W-F-T! I was thinking more of B-O-R-E-D. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Episode 7 of the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast for Thursday, October 12th, 2017. On today's show, we've got the Hell in a Cell review with Rick's live report, Tuesday night's Fallout, Monday night Shield reunion, and a ton more. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to tell you this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across the professional wrestling world, talking creative, the business aspects of professional wrestling, and of course, giving our unsolicited opinions. You can contact the show on Twitter at HTMPWPod, on Facebook at Hitting the Marks, drop us an email at hittingthemarks at gmail.com. My name is Jargo, I'll be your host for the day, joined alongside my Huckleberry, RBV, Rick, welcome to your show. It's me, it's me, it's RBV, Rick Vickery here, and oh, what a, what a glorious weekend of pro wrestling fun I've had. I was able, able to take in a live something to wrestle, that, that event, which featured not only Bruce Pritchard, but the one and only Jim Cornette. It was a highly entertaining show, and I'll, and I'll always be able to say that I was there when Mr. Cornette flashed his junk to the live audience. Now, I, there, I wanted some clarification ahead. on something here quick, because you sent me a message that said that you got a hug from Jim Cornette. Is that correct? Uh, early in the show when we were coming in, they, they had a little, uh, they were kind of greeting you there. Was, so this, before, was this before or after he whipped this, out this his is, dick? This is, this is before he handled little Jimmy. So, I, so his hands were, I'm going to just suspect they were clean at this point. And we're going to hope. And, and when it happened, it was... Jamie almost missed it because it happened so damn fast, and I'm and I am surprised that there was any video of it because they were pretty tight on on phone usage while while you were in the show there. Was that a good show? So, oh it, yeah, it was amazing. It was it wasn't really much more of the stories that we've all heard, especially if if you're big fans of these two, you know, such as I am, major fan of both of them, major mark for both of them. So it was a lot of the same stories. It's just that our tellings were a little bit different, much more raunchier in detail, much more maybe in-depth, more lively, I would say. Now, originally, you went up to Detroit uh, just for that show, and you weren't uh, sure if you were going to go to Hell in a Cell or not. What sold you on going to Hell in a Cell? You know what? While you're there, when in Rome, just go after it, right? Fair enough. I was gonna, so I was going to go from there from, from something to wrestle. Made my way over to the Hell in a Cell event. How close was the two venues? Oh, just, they were right next to each other, essentially. They weren't far away at all. That's awesome. I, I wonder this? how WWE feels about that. Like, they got their panties in such a bunch about the Young Bucks and Cody coming and standing outside of Raw. I wonder how they feel about all these indie promotions and former employees basically using WWE advertising to supply their shows. Well, it got you... Well, remember, there was a couple of years ago, they really made that hard push to block anyone, especially from the WrestleMania weekend. It just seems, I mean, maybe they just... Now they it just seems like they just embraced it. They're just like, yeah. fuck it. You know, this, this is something. We're still the top dog here. People are still coming to see us. We're getting our cut of the money. 
So, you know, why not just let everyone come in and little, have a little piece of the pie, I, I would suspect. Well, let's jump right into Hell in a Cell because, I mean, we've got like 13 hours of content we're going to try to fly through. So if any of you listeners, which thank all of you for listening, holy cow, we've seen a huge jump in numbers over the last week. Uh, if any of you listeners want to hit us up and want to hear us talk further about any of these topics, feel free. We'll be happy to because me and Rick both love running our mouths. And how. So, Hell in a Cell, you were in the building. Show rating from 1 to 10 in the building. How was your experience? On Sunday, I, I would give the show a solid 6, maybe go towards a 7. And I had some issues with how certain things played out. But that live atmosphere prov- provides such a, a natural upward curve when you're really looking at things in a grand perspective. You know, going, going to a live wrestling event, it reminds me of walking into a baseball stadium. I mean, you get that, your senses tingle, and it's just that special feeling. It's just, you, you feel better about yourself, you feel better about everything that's going, on, going, that's going on, you're surrounded by your people. So that evening, yeah, I'm looking at six, seven. Now, I went back and watched the event, just to see if I had missed some things along the way there, or wanted to get a different perspective. After rewatching this thing, I'm going to say that I'm more at a five, possibly as low as a four. Originally, I had this show rated about a seven. I think there was some really good stuff on this show. After watching King of Pro Wrestling, I dropped it down to a six. Well, I, I kind of made it, not with King, uh, King of Pro Wrestling event, but I made the mistake of going back and watching the first Hell in a Cell between Shawn Michaels and Taker. You know, what they did there, it was just, it was a masterpiece. And it just makes it damn near impossible for any other cell match, especially all these years later, to live up to just the, just the, the nuances to the over-the-top items that they had in that match. And that, that was really something special. So that, that might have swayed my thinking before I went back and watched this year's event. Uh, did you ever go to a pay-per-view at the Joe? I, I, ha- I have not. Uh, I've only been here in northern Ohio. Uh, this, well, coming up here in a couple of weeks, this Halloween will be four years. Gotcha. Now, I, I've, I've been to pay-per-views in other cities, uh, but not in Detroit. Well, I know Detroit's uh, known as a pretty hot crowd. But I was curious if there was any difference in the crowd between the Joe Lewis Arena and the new Little Caesars Arena. I couldn't speak to that for, from a wrestling standpoint, but I, I have been up to Detroit for other sporting events, and you are right, man. They, they are a hot crowd. There was, there was times that you really saw that passion. You saw that true Detroit fan. And then there were some other times in the show where I was quite surprised about the reaction, or lack of, I should say. What did you think of the arena itself, the new Little Caesars Arena in Detroit? Well, we've, we've got a brand-new state-of-the-art arena there. I mean, this thing just opened back, it, just back in September of this year. But Hell in a Cell wasn't the first time I've actually been in the arena. I've been up there. I went up for a digital media marketing conference. So I got to really check out a lot of the different areas while I was there where it wasn't so crowded. And- is the ceiling always like that? That's not something WWE did, is it? No, that's, that's their form. That's, that was freaking cool. 
I'm yeah. I'm anxious to see a Blackhawks uh, Red Wings game up there and see what the hell they do with that. Yeah, I'm all, I'm almost certain it's always there, especially for events such as that. Because that you know, was really they, cool. They've had some they've had some some games there. The, it'll stand out as an arena in my mind just for the presentation of that because that was awesome. It really added I mean, something it, to the show. Wrestling wise, it was very fr- fan friendly. Easy in and out, nice, comfortable seats. You know, with one of these new arenas, they, they give you space. You go back to, to some of these arenas that were built late 70s through the 80s and early 90s. Man, they really got you packed in there. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not a small guy. I'm 6'3", you know, just shy of 200 pounds. Or it's, you get a couple guys my size in there, you know, it's, you're crammed in there. Uh, nice seating. And it didn't seem like there was really a, a bad seat in the house. How was the attendance for the show? A few top sections tarped off, but let's let's see here. Attendance attendance for Hell in a Cell was uh, sixteen thousand two hundred and six. It's pretty good. And from my from my understanding, for a wrestling setup, they can hold I don't know up to about nineteen thousand, twenty thousand for wrestling. So not a sellout, but it was a good turnout. Not a, yeah, not a sellout, but I. I would think that wwe would be extremely happy with what they had there um once you get into the arena what what did the merch stand look like were they selling any red brand merch at a blue brand show not that i had noticed i didn't get too close it it was packed when i went through right there and i wasn't i wasn't in the market to make any merchandise purchases so i tried just out of my interest you know i tried to get what i could from it and i kind of went on my way i was i was Priorities, priorities. I was looking for the beer vendor. How much so is a beer mer- in that place? Oh, it wasn't that bad. It was only seven fifty. Oh, that's not nearly as bad as I actually thought yeah. it was going to be. Yeah. Um, and then, or, there, or you could go get a mixed drink. I think those were only going for like eight fifty nine bucks. So you're going to get some whiskey in there with your Coke. So, what did the crowd look like? And, and by that, I mean what were they wearing as far as merch goes? And, and and was it more was it more smarky fans? Was it more families, children? What did the what was the makeup of the crowd? You probably had a seventy thirty kind of casual family ratio to the smarks, but they were definitely there and they were representing. Uh, going back to the merch stand, just just real quick, you know, they had John Cena was front and center. Well, that's yeah, red brand. He's not right. He's he is still well, a free yeah, he's agent. He's a free agent. He is still a free agent. He's a transformer. Uh, Styles and Nakamura, they were represented well. And going back to what you kind of saw, and I'll tie these into what the crowd was wearing and what was at the merchandise stand, which you saw at the live event that you recently attended. Randy Orton and that, his shirts were out there. People were buying them. The guy is popular. That's crazy. Casual so you, fans, stop liking Randy Orton. Uh, with the other fans, of course, the uh, Juggalos, they were up re- representing ICP's whoop, promotion, whoop. Which, is, which is based out of Michigan. Not, not, a, not a whole lot of them, but they were there. Much motherfucking wicked clown love, y'all. Uh, again, you know, as, you, as you witnessed firsthand at a live event, a lot of Randy Orton gear on fans, just, just not at the merchandise booth, but fans were representing uh, of course, probably the number one was Bullet Club. The different variations of Bullet Club merchandise. 
in a city like Detroit, I actually find that just a little surprising. It, it, they were all over the place. Huh. And me personally, I was just rocking uh, a Ring of Honor zip-up zip up hoodie. I figured you'd be in Charlotte merch. I, I thought about going back to the merchandise stand and getting one of her T-shirts, but they, they were not moving the lines very fast there. So I, I just said I'll just opt out and wait to get it on uh, shop.com. Who was the pop of the night? Gonna have to say Shane McMahon, Kevin Owens, both received huge pops. But then again, that might have been simply for the the cell structure itself. And it, it was it's a pretty cool sight. You know, we got the lights going on and everything's lower, and you can kind of feel you can feel the intensity growing I'm telling the, crowd. You, it, the way they light that cage is awesome. The the matches themselves aren't necessarily like my thing anymore. And I will get to that one as we move down the run sheet here. But you, just the intensity from the audience, you could just feel that aura around you growing. So, so that creates a good amount of, of excitement. Any other overall thoughts about the live show presentation that you want to mention before we jump into the show itself? Uh, I'll, I'll go back kind of to the pop thing, something that surprised me. And it, there was not much of a reaction for both Natalia or Charlotte. That that was surprising to me. The crowd was dead for that match. Uh, aside for some, woo, that not much was going on. And then aside from the sing-along portion of his entrance, not much going on for Nakamura. It, it's it is painfully obvious. That their creative treatment of him is it's it's showing through the reception he's receiving from the fan base. Interesting. And the only other thing I had is, and I took quite a bit of time to look around for this, and I speak to this quite often on the show here. And I feel there needs to be a great deal more of social media-based interaction at all WWE events. Now bring bring a few social media lounges out to the concourse area, let people interact with, with the WWE personalities and the rest of the universe on, on a grander scale, just something to really just up that live event experience. Make it really special that you're there. What is going to be the biggest takeaway from the show? When you think back 10 years from now, what's the thing that you're going to remember the most from that show? Is it just Shane going off the cage? You know, in a, in a couple of years' time, I probably will just just being there for the the show with with Mr. Pritchard, and Mr. Cornett, will be a a longer lasting, grander memory for me than anything particular at this show. So yeah, now that you got me thinking about it. It's kind of disappointing that there wasn't one of those moments that that I'll have to carry on with me as a fan for the rest of my, for the rest of my life. Well, I'm happy I could shit in your Cheerios. Yeah, thanks a lot, Dick. Well, let's jump into the card itself. Uh, Usos versus New Day kicking the show off with the uh, Hell in a Cell. You called that. Congratulations. Uh, did I have them? Go, did I have them going? I had them going fourth. Oh, did you have them going fourth? Yeah, I had them going fourth in our poolside booker. Uh, I had. I, we both had. Why was uh, I thinking th that somebody somebody said that 
they were going to lead off with the first cell match. Yeah, I don't remember who each, it was. Maybe it was Jersey Mike. We each had the the WWE Championship match going first. Oh, that's right. That's right. But but anyway, we we both were right on this. It ended up being hand, hands down the match of the match of the night. It was not my match of the night. Okay, so to me it was. I believed it was. And it, I'm giving it that distinction because as we each said during our episode of the Hell in a Cell, Poolside be the booker. Let these athletes be themselves. Let them go out there and do what they do. That's exactly what happened, and they delivered. Uh, this match was a miss for me, and I'll tell you why. Uh, the match itself was fine. I, I think this match suffered from being the first match on the card. It was too violent for an opening match. When you set that kind of tone, the rest of the show is inevitably just going to fall short. And I knew that going into it. Uh, it was not the match I expected. I thought I was going to get Kofi and Big E, not Woods. Uh, when Woods was in the match, that really surprised me. Um, I, I felt like it was kind of a combination of two matches. It was like you had a comedy match, and then you had a you're my prison bitch match. Uh, it was okay. Was there like a whole marching band under the ring? Like, could you hear them under the ring? Where was there a full marching band under there? Uh, not, not so, not to my knowledge. Is that, is that what you picked up on it? Well, I mean, he was busting out trombones, and he had a gong, and he had a cowbell, and oh, I, I thought there okay. must have been a whole fucking marching band underneath okay. of there. Well, there you go. Uh, you yeah, could, were, you could have had this. Out, but... For me, you could have had this exact same match without it being a Hell in the Cell match. Just make it a no DQ match. Well, at this point, they've already had those. They've had their street fights, and this goes back to what I'm saying. You know, this, this was just another case of slapping a gimmick on this feud. But it's the blow-off, which seems to be the blow-off to it for the time being. It, it worked for me. But I can see what you're saying, that the placement on the card, that's, that you come with too much too soon. When you come out this, that hot, the rest well, of the card is going to fall short. And as, as we go down this card here, that will that might explain some of my takes on, on the rest of these matches. My biggest problem with this match itself... While we were cheering the violence, nobody gave a shit who won the match when it was over. Well, that's that's basically your problem with what Hell in a Cell has become, what the actual match has become. It's not about the classic storytelling or really worrying about good versus evil, competitor versus competitor. It's pretty much just waiting around for a big spot or somebody to die. That's what the match itself has become. Yeah, we'll get into that with the second one. For sure. Uh, I'm not saying this was a bad match. I just I think this match suffered from opening on the show, and I think it was just too violent for where it was placed on the card. That's my opinion. It's obviously the unpopular opinion of the day. Rusev versus Randy Orton. Rick, happy Rusev Day. Uh, not so happy Rusev Day for, for the brute. How was, how was Orton's pop? I know you said there was a lot of Orton merch. Did that place come unglued when Orton came out? It was one of the pops pops of the evening. It's that's very much the way it came across on TV for me was one of the pops of the night. People uh, people really really dig Randy Orton. And I know we had been back and forth that Rusev really needed this that he should have gone over and you know seeing the fans and hearing their reaction to him immediately I thought to myself, well we were completely effing wrong. Because yeah. They're going to put it. Did the Detroit crowd not realize it's Rusev Day? 
What is wrong with you people? It's Rusev Day. You cheer Rusev now. Jeez, he, I was he disappointed got a little, in that. He got, a, he got a, a somewhat of a positive reaction, but you, you, it wasn't significant enough, and especially compared to that of Randy Orton. I thought it was just two classic WWE superstars having a classic WWE physical, methodical, I'm going to punch you in the face wrestling match. It was a good match with a very cool finish. I was very disappointed that Orton went over. Did either one of these guys benefit from this program? Well, that's that's kind of what I, in my thoughts here, you know, these two work really well together. It was a hard-hitting, and a hard-hitting battle. I mean, it was a classic. It was one of the better but, Randy Orton matches I've seen in a while. You know, but with the outcome, it didn't do much to move me. I was expecting something or anything, you know, to close the feud or to close the feud with a bang or seriously move it to the next level. And they did neither of those things for me. Did nothing. It just seems like a dead program now, even though they did that random tag match last night. But, yeah, it just seems like a very, very stale program. Styles, Dillinger, and Corbin. Once again, you called that they were going to add uh, Ty Dillinger into this match. Did the live crowd get to see the video of Ty Dillinger and Daniel Bryan backstage? That I'm not completely sure about. I did not see that that portion, but I, I do believe that it was that it was shown up on on the screen. That was almost, that was terrible. That whole exchange was just campy and terrible, as most of most of their items are. But you know, I thought it was almost seemed pretty obvious that they were going to do this. And you know, as when I when I pitched it during the the poolside booker episode you know you immediately were like yeah this this is their way to to get the, the belt off styles without hurting styles and i like from this i think adding tie it certainly elevated the quality of the match as everyone out there knows i am in no way in the corbin camp but i i, I want to save some more for this for when we get to the fallout on smackdown because what we saw here you know, adding adding Dillinger to protect Styles completely unravels, and it really makes little sense moving forward from what what we know now. I I once they added Dillinger into the match, I think we all knew that Corbin was going to pin him and win the match. I I think that was just a foregone conclusion from most of the people that I was in the live thread with. Uh, oh, I, I would agree there. That was almost the, the sense of anyone around me. They just knew that this was going to be Corbin's night once this became a triple threat. Uh, Corbin was healing on the crowd a lot in this match. Uh, AJ was obviously the babyface in this match. Dillinger was in there to protect the losers of the match. Where do you see Dillinger now going forward? Is Are we going to get Dillinger and Corbin for the U.S. title? Is that kind of where this is going? Is that I would assume that's I'm assume that's what they have on paper. I, I think it's time to move on to something to something different. That I'm not exact I'm not exactly sure what that is right now. It just seems that he needs to get away from from this program and, and just try to get something going in a different direction. I, I wouldn't be totally opposed to some sort of heel turn out of him. So what was the feeling inside the building when Corbin wins that match? 
Did you all see it coming? Or was it, it, it was there a those, severe disappointment those, in the building? It was one of those things that you, you see coming, but yet when it actually comes to fruition, you're, you're still just really let down. And I don't think it was so much of one of those, you know, oh, you're shaking your fist. Ah, he went over. He, he, got, he, took, he took out our heroes. It was kind of like, ah, oh, shit. Uh, bathroom, bathroom break. Where's the beer guy? Concession stand run. It was well, more along those lines. That's what I was curious about because Natty and Charlotte for the women's title is up next. And that crowd was flat for this match. Uh, to me, it, Natty and Charlotte was the match of the night. And a lot of the people kind of went out to start checking out the arena between during these two matches, especially in that transition period. And as I said, aside from the woos, yeah, I was I was really surprised by the lack of crowd reaction. To be clear, when I say match of the night, I mean this was the best pro wrestling match on the card. This was a well, fantastic I, match. I, I love I love the storytelling here with Natty just viciously attacking that knee. The only spot I really wasn't a big fan of, I, I didn't think they needed that moonsault late in the match. I did not like the moonsault, and I did not like the finish. That's the only thing I have bad to say about this match. Yeah, but I, I liked the direction they were going. It was good storytelling. And it was I'm, just wrong. I, I, I mean, okay, so you're getting your knee worked on for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. You finally get your opponent down on the floor. The last goddamn thing you're going to do is climb up to the top rope and do a moonsault onto the floor. That's that you're you're flawed in that concept right there. And Number two, when you, especially when you were raised and taught by one of the greatest of all time, who knows just how to get the job done properly. You know, it's just there was so much lack of logic in that spot. I'm reading Jim Ross's book. Makes the baby face look stupid. Never make the baby face look stupid. They did that a lot this week. I would agree 100% there, but it, it, except, you know, I, I don't want to really nitpick at some of the spots there. It's not. Oh, no, it's no. Not my expertise, it, not what we no, do it's here. just the psychology that goes into it. It just doesn't make any sense. And, and it's but the same thing it. with the finish of the match. I, I would have no problem with the finish of that match if Natty had no other way to retain her title. But at that point, Charlotte's hurt. You've been working over her knee the whole match. She would just throw her in the ring and put her in the sharpshooter. They built to the finish of the match in a weird, fucked up way so that when Natty hits Charlotte with the chair, you're just like, what the hell just happened? It did not feel at all like the finish of the match. It was like, got to go home now, girls. Okay. And that was it. Even, in a, even that sense, I could see where, you know, she is getting kind of frustrated with Charlotte continuing to fight back. And she's like, you know what? I'm just going to take this easy way out. But you better damn sure you finish that job. I mean, I want some real violence after that DQ finish. Completely agreed. Completely agreed. And, and then you start, and they did, a, they did enough here, and you might be right, they might have got cut short on what their planned finish actually was there. I'm still invested enough uh, to see where they can get this heat going towards for Starcade. But I would have preferred you just have that vicious beating, just, that, just have Natty destroy her. And then you build that story going into Starcade, hopefully, and especially if they make it a network special, that will Charlotte even be able to compete there for this for this grand event that's re that's returning after all these years? Then we get the Fashion Files. 
how did that come across for the live audience? I mean, we all know that it was the best part of the entire show because Tyler Breeze was on TV. But how did it come across for the live audience? Yeah, the fans were happy to see him back. They popped for it. They, they popped. They enjoyed it. I think, I think a lot of people, I know I did, you know, they just, they, when it was over, they kind of just felt like it was a little filler. We didn't, we didn't really get much going forward from it. Well, now they're going to do Pulp Fiction, and I'm very excited about that. Here's a spoiler. You're never going to find out what's in that briefcase. Jinder Mahal versus Shinsuke Nakamura. Uh, is that the first time that you have experienced Shinsuke's entrance live? No. I've, I've seen him in, in NXT. That is such a cool entrance to experience live. Cool uh, entrance. Uh, much, it was much cooler in NXT because that fan base is, was much more in tune with what was going on and what his character was supposed to be. And he was actually a legit deal in NXT. But uh, except for the kind of singing along... It turned dead for Nakamura, and the fans just don't give a shit about Jinder Mahal. How much of it was the fans don't give a shit about Jinder Mahal, and how much of it was the fans aren't interested in Nakamura? I think you, you tie it all together, and you got the makings for you know for a terrible match, you know, from intensity and atmosphere-wise. I thought this yeah. was by far the best gender has looked in the ring. And I think that's a testament to Shinsuke, but I thought gender looked fine in this match. Well, I, I, I thought both, both talents did, did great jobs in this match. Everything that went wrong, and the reason the fans were sitting on their hands or just didn't care, and that, that blame belongs all on creative. There was something about that crowd felt like they were just ready to explode for a Nakamura win. Like they were just waiting for you, something to happen. You could tell when uh, the Singh brothers were dismissed from ringside. That place and, came and unglued. It, like, oh well, shit, this is it. This is it. It's going to happen. This is it. And then, you know, Nakamura hits that big move in the ring. You get that, you're getting that good, that build up. That one, two, you know, people are getting ready to explode. You know, gets his hand on that rope, and then he just gets up and pretty much what we haven't seen him do at all, and he's supposed to be doing it against the King of Strong Style, one of the best in the world. He just he's easily finishes the job himself. It's a clean win. It's the first time I remember Jinder getting a clean win. And it felt like somebody just popped Detroit's balloon. Because the next match is Bobby Roode and Dolph Ziggler, and nobody gave a shit. It is, it is a, a daunting task to actually disappoint the people of Detroit. Their, their expectations on life are pretty low up there. Nobody gave a shit about the next match after Mahal and Nakamura. I, I kind of felt bad for Bobby Roode and Dolph Ziggler. There's no reason that this match should have been this late on the card. Yeah, I would have had this much easier, you know, much earlier. Just you know, looking back at things, this might have been a great opener to really set a tone to get people excited. Yeah, the match just fell short, and I think a large part of that was just because of the positioning on the card. And then not only the positioning on the card, but then Dolph Ziggler's entrance is kind of a bummer deal too, you know? Yeah, it doesn't really give you – and you know, that goes down to fans have just become so accustomed to everything they do, they associate with some entrance or the music. You know, one of the things that really bothers me 
that we, we didn't see here or anything tonight, but they do it on a regular basis, is if when you have someone doing a run-in, and they play their damn music. If I'm running in on someone to yeah, get a... Hit my a music pack, before I run in. Yeah, yeah, that, that irritates me to no end. <laughs> that is one of my huge pet peeves. Well, that's one of those like, post-production things that it's just like, guys, that's not how this works. It's like what I was talking about uh, last week with the camera just sitting there filming Roman Reigns backstage. Why would they go to that shot? Why would they play your music if you're doing a run-in? It's just one of those things. It's all, that's where you get more into marketing and branding than logic storytelling. So Bobby Roode wins with a handful of tights. Uh, the story that they told here was Bobby Roode beat Dolph Ziggler at his own game, which is fine. But Bobby Roode is not established enough as a babyface at this point after his heel run in NXT to be winning with a handful of tights. It just it discredited the entire Rude babyface push. Now, see, I'm I'm not fully convinced that he is a babyface right now because I'm well, he's positioned so as a babyface his... right now, whether I, I, he is or I, not. I, I, you still see so much of his of his cocky mannerisms out of him. Well, he's still Bobby Rude. And and I know we we don't when we move on to the fallout in SmackDown, we don't have a lot to talk about with this match because there really wasn't that much that we're moving forward with. So I wanted to bring up here. I was really disappointed to see their inter- the interaction between these two on Tuesday night. And I really feel the, the letdown there falls in the lap of Bobby Roode. And he needs to, sh- sometime very soon, he needs to show those true colors and turn full-fledged heel. I mean, as soon as possible. He's, that's fall- where he is he's dropping stock real quick on the main roster. He seemed awkward. And just so off on his delivery on Tuesday when, you know, they had their little verbal deal. Yeah, he's losing stock fast, unfortunately. I had much higher hopes for Bobby Roode. But I don't think Dolph Ziggler is a good first feud for Bobby Roode, especially when Ziggler has dominated this program. Well, all the early parts of it were that they had to to make Ziggler relative again to remind us how that he is a good talent, but bring him especially in the eyes of the casual fan to make him relevant remind us why we should care that Bobby Roode can go over him I would much care much more about Dolph Ziggler if he was the new lead singer for Motley Crue so Kevin Owens and Shane O'Mac your main event of the evening I really enjoyed the first half of the match the second half of the match it just fell apart for me what was the feeling in the crowd when they went up to the top of the cage because I was literally on the edge of my seat praying that somebody didn't fucking die. You know, from the start, seeing the cell structure itself is pretty cool, as I said before. But these matches have moved beyond that classic storytelling once again. And, and you know, when, when they got to the top of that cage, these, the fan today is, is more tradition to perk up at this time because why do you tune into the cell match? You're waiting for that big spot, and you're... Well, I hope most people are hoping that someone doesn't, but I'm sure there are a few people out there hoping that someone does. You're waiting for that big spot and someone possibly to die or seriously get injured. While they were fighting up on top of the cage, and Owens is powerbombing Shane and just tossing Shane around, I was uncomfortable. Because I, I don't know how in the hell the top of that cage took that. There, the thing is so... But it almost forced. seemed like they were trying to break it. Like they were trying like hell to break it. And when it wasn't breaking, they were like, oh shit, now what do we do? 
The only thing I didn't like about on the top there, it just seems so awkward when well, they're the, trying to move around. The awkward I mean, I mean, part for me was when they were coming back down. Like, Owens gets up there. He doesn't jump. Shane climbs up. And then they fight for a little while. And then Owens is like, okay, fuck this. And starts climbing what? back down the cage. And then he, Shane comes after that. him. And it was just like, what? what the fuck is going on right now? Well, I think that goes back. You have you have Owens up there. This was part of the story they were trying to tell. You have Owens up there. That he realizes, oh, shit. I ain't doing this. So, as Shane comes up, they're brawling. At this point, Owens is realizing again, I got to get the hell off the top of this thing. Something bad's going to happen to me. So then, as he gets laid out on that table, Shane, being the exact opposite and trying to play the baby here, he's going he's gonna to take that risk. He's going to do it all to end this match. He's going to do what, what Kevin Owens didn't have the balls to do. But then that backfired on him a little bit. So then we jump into the fallout. We're going to go ahead and do SmackDown, and then we'll do Raw. Oh, we're not even going to talk about the big finish on the show, or are we going to save this here for the fallout? I, I, I think we save this here for the fallout. Um, because I was curious how in the hell they were going to open SmackDown. If they were going to open it with the follow-up to Hell in a Cell, was it going to start with Shane? Was it going to start with Owens? Was it going to start with Sammy? And they start with the Usos, which made... Zero sense to me. Zero sense. But let's go ahead and jump forward to the Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn segment so we can talk about these two kind of back-to-back. I would have been okay. To me, in my mind, this should have opened SmackDown. It absolutely should have opened SmackDown. I fell asleep during the beginning of SmackDown. They used the first quarter of the show on the fucking tag division that nobody cares about. If you weren't going to open up exactly with his explanation during an opening segment, you should have told me giving me a narrative throughout this entire program to keep my interest peaked and why I make sure I tune in for that final segment where he finally reveals this. You know, give me some teases. You know, why did he really do this? Instead, they do it in the first hour to second hour stopgap. It's not the main event. It doesn't open the show. It's like it's just kind of buried in this very weird and awkward follow-up show. The, The entire layout of this show really bothered me. I, I think maybe they, they, you know, they, they were somewhat on the right direction. And Aaron Strusky, this is for you because you, you keep you keep getting on me every time I bring it up, but they just missed the mark with when they formatted the show and had the layout. It, they, this, I think that's what threw off a lot of, of this, this follow-up and fallout from Hell in a Cell. The show should have opened with the ring announcer saying, ladies and gentlemen, Kevin Owens. And had Owens already in the ring. And had him cut that same promo. With, with those guys opening the show, really think about how excited fans were to get to Tuesday night. Oh, the tension. Why, Sammy? Why would you do that? Well, and this goes back to the, the sense in the arena on Sunday night. You know, I think Sammy's involvement was, it surprised a fair share of that audience. But it wasn't a, It wasn't like a, oh, my, oh my God, that, that bastard, that rat bastard. The feeling wasn't that, that of a full heel turn, but more of confusion at the time. Where people, you know, people wanted some answers. What's going on here? Oh, I, said, I said immediately, let's not necessarily assume that this is a Sami Zayn heel turn. Because I thought they could have spun this a couple of different directions. 
Now, now people really were really invested in that. People were tuning in for this show. I, I would have opened. I would agree with you. I would have opened with these two. But if they were going to have it later in the show, I would have put it in the main event slot, and I would have continued those teasers throughout the entire show for for an hour and forty five minutes. So, what did you think of Owen's promo to begin with? The the entire religious references. I'm hoping it's just a one-time thing and we're done with that. Yeah, I, I think that's all it's going to be. I don't see him continuing on with that unless we get the same with, you know, the, the gender Nakamura where someone in the back just thinks, oh, I think that went over their heads. Let's keep running out there. I, but I don't think that's going to be the case. I like the message and I, and I like the delivery that, that Kevin and then eventually Sammy would have. I just don't think they were... T- I know Kevin was trying to be overdramatic. That's what he does there. I more so had an issue with Sammy, who just, it didn't seem like that's how he would talk. So Owens introduces his best friend, Sammy Zane. And they got to change Sammy's music. They have to change I, Sammy's music. I, I, I agree with you going forward. From here on out, he needs something. Yeah, because that was way too happy. So Well, I, that's, that's what I kind of liked about it. But he's dancing to the ring, and it's... <sighs> but it, it was a little different. It was a little different than we're used to. You could see it was a little bit more of a, a cocky swagger about him. But, but you having that music and kind of doing his little... What the hell kind what's the, What's the style of that music? That ska. He was, okay, Scott. His you know, little ska moves and all that. But they weren't as you know, cheer, cheerful as usual. He gave me that vibe that we might we might not see that full heel turn there. I very you know, much might, got the same vibe when he, he the, might, when he, he came in the way he did. I was like, I told you, let's not assume this is a heel turn. Well, even in the ring between the two, man, you could tell, and they did a great job of this, man. There was they they let that little bit of tension sit there, where you weren't really sure for a moment if Sammy and KO were. You we're weren't necessarily or, or sure if this gonna, was a makeup. Yeah, or if they're going to turn on, if they're just going to resume what they've been doing and, and go right at it right there. So then Sammy cuts his promo, and I have been an advocate of not turning Sami Zayn heel. I just cannot imagine Sami Zayn as a heel. But Sami Zayn cuts the best heel promo that I have heard in a very, very long time. I thought it was a very good promo, maybe too good of a promo. Now, see to me, I, I like the idea behind the message. It just didn't really seem to me like how he would talk. And maybe as I get to learn more about his heel character, I'll get a better understanding of that there. So I, I will give it, I will give it time to grow on me. And I will say those, you know, as you brought up, it's it's kind of hard to imagine Sammy as that villain. Well, I think we got to give him credit because, you know, a lot of people were worried that he wasn't going to be able to survive going from El Generico to Sami Zayn. And he pulled that off quite well in NXT, and he's done enough to hang around and keep himself relevant on the red and blue brands. So I say well, let's let him evolve and show us what he, what he can do. My only com- real complaint about it is it's ch- it rang so true. The idea of a heel is, you know, they're supposed to have this irrational idea in their mind that even if he's making good points, you just don't, you can't agree with his rationale, with his moral compass. 
And what I got out of that promo out of Sammy last night as he was talking was, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, fuck Shane McMahon. You're right. He did screw you over. That's right. Shane did say that. I hope this works. I hope it works. This is their flawed logic in, in a lot of this. Yeah, because you have, this is another case of you're making, you're making the baby here look selfish, you know, egotistical. You're, you're giving them all the bad personality traits. It almost goes back to, you know, when Ginger comes out and says, oh, you just hate me because I'm different. There's a lot of things that he says about the crowd in our American society that are true. And then the reaction he gets in the crowd kind of makes them look like bigots. So this is kind of along those lines where he's making perfect sense. Yeah. He's ripping apart the baby. Yep. He's just villain. tearing Shane apart. And you're just like, yep. Yep. You're right. They didn't use you well on Raw. You're right. Shane did say, welcome to the land of opportunity. You're right. You haven't gotten any opportunities. Yeah. He did blow you off. Fuck Shane. It's not so much that he's actually doing this to, to mend fences with his long lost best friend. He's just it's had it with McMahon's shit. It's because the baby forced his hand. He forced him to do this. I'm not sure that's the right story to tell with Sami Zayn, but we'll see how it goes. I mean, we'll give it a shot. I mean, hell, Jinder Mahal's world champion, so anything's fucking possible. Well, here's my rendition of Sami Zayn's new music. I call it Death Metal Sky. So instead, they open with the Usos, Usos and New Day, and they spend the first quarter of the show trying to rebuild a dead tag division. And this, this entire thing ran about 30 minutes. What are they doing here? Are, are we supposed to care about the SmackDown tag division now? Because they've told us for months that the SmackDown tag division is the Usos and the New Day. And then the Usos in the New Day come out and they say, yep, we're the tag division. Are we supposed to care about anybody else other than the fashion police yeah, here? Yeah, and you have, you have these guys come out. You're obviously your two top teams in the Usos in New Day. They, give a, they show a sign of respect. And, and I got the gesture from the Usos. It, it does Felt seem like very something. very Edge Christian post TLC. You know, it seems like something that their characters would do. Yeah. You know, following, following war... Yep. Now, honor, we, we've seen this story a million honor, times. Honor, honor yeah. amongst warriors. Now, before we really jump into all the, their interruption from the other tag teams, you know, why this happened, you know, New Day really disappeared. Where, where do you see them going here? Are we finally going to get that, that quiet split between them where they go off and do other things? Yeah, this doesn't make any sense because you, you, you set up the Oost truce, which makes it seem like New Day's not going to come after the Usos. But there's only one tag team prize on SmackDown, so what in the hell is the New Day supposed to do otherwise? I guess go sell merch. 
and you know they each could branch out into their own directions and try well you know, ideally i ideally that's what i would like to see them do but but if you split up the new day then your tag division's even worse you you're you're making a bad tag division even worse you know when when i when i first saw this that was my thought like oh man they're just they're just trying to get everyone back out there to try to reestablish this thing. Was it? But was this really rebuilding the tag division, or was it just a lazy way to find a new contender? I think that's what it was. It was just a lazy way to find a new contender, and I think they picked the wrong contenders. Well, and to me, we saw a vignette later on in this show that if you wanted to make a big splash and get put your tag division back on the map, that vignette wouldn't have happened later on the show. You would have had... You would have had it right fucking now. You would have had Rowan and Harper somewhere in that match. You know, maybe... maybe Hell, you don't put them over. If you, don't want to, if you don't want to put them right over, if you don't want to move them up that fast, at least them come out and cause some... Just raise some hell. Just do something. Pure havoc. Have them come out and just waste the other teams. Uh, Gable and Benjamin versus the Usos, I'm not interested in at all all the only tag team that got a pop when they came out was the fashion police because everybody was excited to see tyler breeze and tyler made that whole freaking match tyler getting his ass whipped is what made that match even remotely watchable and i was surprised that they had tyler but that either of the fashion police took took the fall in that damn thing i did pop when the Usos were doing their back of the line speech going through all the teams and they get to the fashion police, fashion police, back of the line. And new day says, no, no, no. We like the fashion police. Yeah. They, they dropped them in there. That was, my, that, me, that was my personal pop of the night. That absolutely tickled me. The, the complete misbooking here was not somehow introducing Rowan and Harper and just creating either, you know, oh, what's going on here? Or just flat out put them over. Are you excited about the Bludgeon Brothers? I'm going to have to let it grow on me. For me, I, I would have just rather seen them put the fucking Wyatts back together. I'm excited to see these guys back together. It's too I close to the Wyatt the gimmick, name. though. It just seems way too close to the Wyatt gimmick. I, I, I would rather see them repackaged. Now, see, it, was, it wasn't as an over-the-top Wyatt gimmick, but I, I liked what they had that little act with, you know, just going by the Reaper's name on some live events when it looked like they were setting them up for a program with the Dudley Boys, which would have been absolutely fantastic. That would have been so until, physical. Until I would believe it was, was it Harper that sustained an injury before? It was like a couple um, summer slams ago. They were kind of teasing that was where they were going to go. Yeah, both of those guys have been injured off and on so many times. I can't even remember how it started. And that's you know that's another worry with these guys is that they do go down quite a bit. But man, I, I just would have liked to see. Well, if some they would kinda... wrestle smarter, Jesus Christ, Luke Harper, you're not a cruiserweight. You don't have to do that shit. Well, that's what he needs to adjust to the WWE style. He doesn't have to to put on those indie performances. Let's jump into the women's division uh, and go back to Natty and Charlotte just a little bit here. I didn't care about Becky Lynch versus Carmella at all. Did you care about that match? Well, what got me here is now 
with everything that we've seen with the ladies and all that, for about the first 45 minutes of this show, we're, we're dupla. We're just going back to some of their basics. You know, the first one, they're duplicated these segments. They're just lumping entire divisions back into groups. And it, it frustrated me to know. Gotta get anything. everybody on TV. Gotta get everybody on TV. No, you don't. If they're not worthy of being on TV right now, don't put them on fucking TV and expose them. Damn it. This is what I took, you know, I'm taken away from here. Maybe the ending wasn't the greatest, but they do have a good, a good hot story going forward here with Natty and Shar Shar. So keep the focus on them at the moment. Yeah, this what the hell does Lana and Tamina have to do with what's going on right now? This is an opportunity to, to build real heat between these two. Not everyone needs to have their nose in this business. It's the hearts versus the flares, and there's a snooker? What the fuck? And, and, yeah, we don't need any of They don't need to be in this. It just takes away from the program. Keep, keep them on live events. Let them work telling stories against one another on live events. And when they find something that catches, then bring that to us on television. We do not need cameo appearances from everyone in every damn division every week. Speaking of who writes this shit, Baron Corbin's promo. Do you believe that Baron Corbin would say the following? The house that AJ Styles built will become the house that AJ Styles squandered. Do you think Baron Corbin knows what the word squandered means? Because I don't. Why are we talking in fucking riddles? Is this, does Bray Wyatt write this show? When you are a lone wolf ass kicker, you're not, you're not going to words with squandered. In the whole thing. Well, then it, then it gets even. Then it gets cheesier. worse. Styles comes back and says he'll be damned if some lone wolf is going to keep his U.S. title belt and walk out with his head held high. He thinks if you sound overconfident, is the end of days for Baron Corbin's title reign. Nobody fucking talks like that. Nobody talks like that. Especially some redneck from Gainesville, Georgia. Come the fuck on. Let them talk it's, like real human beings. It, it's cheesy. It's cheesy as all hell. But it's all about them damn buzzwords for them. These are all marketing and branding tactics for their superstars and the overall WWE banner. It's absolute shit and, and is what you it can, is. And you can, you can really tell it comes in cycles. That maybe somebody went to a. Uh, you got a some con- new fucking writer backstage, or you brought in some consultant who says, "Oh well, we see that ratings will go up X amount percent if you use these buds End of day. Well, that's, well then someone gets Phenomenal. up and Vince or Stephanie's ass about it, and they'll they'll come in cycles like this. You know, this is the time of year too where business is slow for for a lot of people, so they send them off to conventions and conferences. And you're sitting in seminars, and you're learning, uh, uh, you know, what's the hot trends for the things that they need to push on you. So someone in WWE went to went to a seminar or conference, and the hot new thing on buzzwords, and they came back, and we're going to get a couple months of it, and it'll fade out, and we'll see a cycle again with it here in the springtime as people are getting ready to gear up for their late spring and summer businesses. 
So we get Styles invoking his rematch clause to take on Baron Corbin. And Corbin pins AJ Styles clean in the middle of the ring. That's your main event. Is this program over? I'd almost have to think so, but... God, I hope so. I I, I hope so, but... I was just kind of just sat in awe, like, did they really just do that to AJ? I know his popularity and all that, he can bounce right back, and their mindset is that people will forget in two weeks that this happened. But why do you put Dillinger in the match on Sunday to take the loss to protect AJ Styles if you're just going to put Baron Corbin over on AJ Styles on fucking TV? Why would you do that? Why wouldn't you just move ahead and just go with the one-on-one at the pay-per-view and have that be your end result? I think that this might have been some kind of change of plans in the back. They thought they were going to go in one direction on Sunday and something happened in those 48 hours and they they went and pulled a, pulled a 180. Well, they, they, backtracked. They, they seem to be liking uh, changing things right before the show nowadays. Immediately after that, that happened... I thought to myself, what the fuck? SmackDown Live has just become WCW 2000 because the faces at the top of your company, your champions, your your representation of the best of the best are Ginger Mahal and Baron Corbin. You know, you made that comment to me last night that this is WCW 2000. I looked up the ratings from WCW 2000. They only hit these SmackDown numbers twice in the year 2000 wcw was still doing better ratings than what smackdown's doing right now there you go proof that jeff jarrett is at least a better main eventer and champion than ginger mahal holy shit wow bigger disappointment ginger mahal or jeff jarrett that might be a that might be a good uh, a good meme coming up for one of our matchup mashups where we take two people from different eras or in, the worst champions of all time. Oh, that that could be a. Uh, so I don't even know how we would like. Do you vote for the worst one to go through the round? So when we crown our finals, you're actually well. Your finals are going to be Dean Ambrose versus Diesel. That's going to be your finals for the man, most man, disappointing I, champion with, with, of all time. With him, with him sitting fresh in everyone's mind, I'm going to say Jinder finds his way there. Speaking of Jinder Mahal, he's nowhere to be found on this show. No talk of the WWE Championship. Nakamura's in a random tag match with Randy Orton. Why would Nakamura agree to that match? Does he not remember what happened the last time he and Orton tagged? Orton laid him out with an RKO. Nobody? Oh, you see, you're not supposed to remember those things. <sighs> and I, I initially, it went to my mind. You know, it, it always does when you see things like this. Whenever you see, like, an Orton or a Cena come back together, like, you guys never remember him, like, kicking your dad in the fucking head? Jinder Mahal was featured in the dark match against Dolph Ziggler and Bobby Roode. Going back, one thing about that odd pairing in that tag match. Uh, Corey Graves made a comment that really stood out to me. Uh, Graves mentioned that it was it was Knock 
trying to, to move to move on and redirect himself. So that kind of stuck out to me, you know, where they want to go with him. Or are they just kind of – do they even know where, where they want to go with him? Because, I mean, it's been painfully obvious they had no idea what to do with him in that, in that world title picture. That's all I've got for SmackDown. I was very disappointed in the follow-up to Hell in a Cell outside of the Owens and Sammy thing, which I'll give them credit for. I'm, I'm interested to see how this thing plays out, whether it's good or bad. At least Tyler Breeze was on my TV for a little bit. So I'll give SmackDown a meh. I'm interested in Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn. I'm still interested in where they are going with with Natty and Shar Shar, as long as they can just leave everyone else the hell out of it. Are you more interested in that program after SmackDown than you were before SmackDown? No. I was I was very interested Sunday, and now it's kind of cooled off a little bit because I'm just – I'm afraid that they're going to keep just trying to get everyone else involved here, which I don't see any use for. And then kind of what I would take ultimately take home from SmackDown, which I would title it in the aftermath with, with gender and the absence of the WWE championship is out of sight, out of mind. And that might be best for business right now. Any other notes coming out of SmackDown that you wanted to talk about? I think we hit it all there, bud. All right. So let's move to Monday Night Raw. Two weeks out from TLC. We're live in Indianapolis. As we would come to find out, Indianapolis is kind of an important place. We might as well jump right into it, man. Let's let's talk about the shield. Let's kick it off. It's it's kind of where they've hit all their milestones. It's kind of a home away from home for those guys. They debuted here, they broke up here, they reunited here. New Shield merch available at wweshop.com. All right, that was funny. After that opening segment, you know, they, they all come out in their, their own individual T-shirts. But then later on when they reemerge, they've, they've got their nice new Shield shield apparel. Which are, happen to be in the same colors as Roman Reigns. I would also like to point that out. Uh, and, and a little bit of the design work is pretty, uh, you can see the influence between the two. They also were selling the shirts in the merch stands before the show. Blew their load a little too early. The live crowd knew it was coming. No, I I wouldn't go so far there because they've done everything here to let us know that this is all but solidified. All except for seeing them walk out onto the stage together. There was no secret. There was no suspense to this. It was just, when is it going to happen? How is it going to happen? So you get the Mizzies to start off the show. Roman comes out. I did like the line when Roman says, this is when you stop talking. I thought that was good. I've been noticing that they're making Roman talk more and more like an Uso. Have you noticed this? I can't say that I have. It's something I'm going to have to... To pay more attention to. Now that you're getting more Uso promos on SmackDown, listen to the verbiage that Roman's been using. Like, I just have somewhere in my head Vince hearing him. Make him talk like an Uso! So you think there, do you think that's just something between them? Or do you think there's someone behind the scenes I think some, the I think somebody's that, realizing, hey, the Usos are getting over doing what they're doing. 
Let's do that with Roman. I've always been a proponent for those guys to team up to form some sort of Samoan nation. Samoan SWAT team. Hashtag Ben Hamim. So how do you feel about this S.H.I.E.L.D. reunion? I'm way down on it. I am just not into it. What's, what's really funny is, I don't know if it's just the internet wrestling community, because you see so many people that agree with us here that this was the wrong time and place, that they weren't able to, to and really And it's the wrong the, opponents. They're just not... It, and they weren't able to keep any kind of element of surprise going here. This feels so forced to me that I can't get hyped behind it. This really reminds me that they needed some. Remember a couple years ago, they needed something big for Survivor Series to really hold them over until WrestleMania season when they forced Rock and Cena together. Yeah. And funny enough about this, the talent that they needed that could actually go with those gentlemen to carry any kind of promos was one of the gentlemen that was on the opposite side of the ring that time that is today in The Miz. How did you feel about this starting the show? Were you fine with the S.H.I.E.L.D. reunion hitting at the beginning of the show? Or do you think they should have saved it? I I, I guess I'm okay with what they did there. I just would have preferred more of that traditional don't just flat out play their music have them come out once again you're back to buzzwords and and marketing concepts there that they, that they want to just get their pops for i would have liked to see that like some kind of at least kind of save lead into the interaction I, but you know what it's but like we said it's no surprise we know it's going down it was just a matter of when and we actually we even knew the where it was just a matter of when so why not get it out of the way could you imagine if they would have gave Roman Reigns his own music when the shield broke up and while Miz is in the ring running his mouth, giving himself awards, it was the first time that you heard that music and God knows how long. Sierra Hotel, India, Echo, Lima, Delta, Shield. Well, it's because they didn't have any they didn't have any foresight back then. They just assumed, hey man, everyone pops for this all the time. That's why they kept the gear on him and they kept the music with him. Well, that's why Roman gets the yay-boos. That's what Sam Roberts calls it, the yay-boo. As soon as Roman's music hits, the crowd pops, and then they boo him. And it's that music, because the shield is just programmed into your brain. So you get that initial pop out of it. I don't, you know, even in this instance, you know, just kind of thinking about it off the top of my head, I don't know if I would have used the entrance. I think he would have got a bigger pop out of that crowd if you would have had, had them each enter from different parts of the crowd and then unite on their final way to the ring. I'm sure they're going to save that some kind of entrance like that for the actual pay-per-view coming up. But I, I would have done it first. I think he would have get, you know, that, that first pop is your biggest pop. I also noticed that Seth was the one that said believe that backstage when Roman has it in huge letters on his freaking Tron. I thought that was pretty funny. I think that just, ha- that just hammered home, you know, just hammered home the point that Seth is back on board. Because if anyone, you know, he's the one that would have ever put any doubt to anyone's mind from his past actions. 
we knew that the Shield reunion was coming, whether we liked it or not. For what it was, but, but that's, you know, going back I was fine that, with it. We we are in the minority here. Man, people are loving this thing. They're oh yeah, the damn thing up. People are all about it. I just think it was the wrong time. I'm not that into it. But for what it was, I thought it was executed fine. Well, yeah, because we usually have the mindset. We you know we kind of want we want that big picture. Can, are you maximizing this right now? Well, well and this, I actually this is read just a kind of that I, cheap that cheap thrill. I read a report yesterday that the Observer is reporting. This is going to be a one-off, and then they're going to go back to doing their own thing. It's like really you wasted the Shield reunion on the on Miz, Sheamus, and Cesaro at TLC. At TLC, and this goes back to they, if they had any freaking balls, then this would have been a Shield reunion taking on Baylor. Gallows and Anderson. I still vote for Joe and the Authors of Pain. I would love to. I would love to see that. I think that's still that's better than what we've got. But I think your your biggest money maker, what would have set this thing off, is Bullet Club versus Shield. What I did not like on this show was the reappearance of the Shield later when they came back out and they got Braun Strowman. So let's talk about Braun Strowman for a second. Braun Strowman takes on Matt Hardy. Number one, I think they gave Matt Hardy too much offense. But Braun- I think giving every everyone is getting too much offense against Braun Strowman, but ex- especially, especially Matt Hardy was given far far too much of an edge. So Braun destroys Matt Hardy, and he's dragging Matt Hardy's body up the ramp. And I immediately thought, oh my god. Braun Strowman is going to break Matt Hardy. Yes! Show me with your adoration. Engulf me with your disdain. Feed me your emotion. Feed me your energy. And watch me metabolize it and turn it into power. Feed me your energy. Feed me your energy. Feed me your This I can get interested in. This is what they're going to do with Braun now. We're going to get broken Matt Hardy or woken Matt Hardy, whatever the hell you want to call him, against Braun Strowman. See, I was watching that match. I just took it as if you can't use the broken gimmick, well, shit, let's just go ahead and physically break Matt. (laughs) And so then, some shots there. But then the shield comes out and jumps Braun Strowman. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on right now? Did did you take any issue with this? I, I understood where they were coming from. I and thought I it was you, you all had, wrong. You had a bigger issue with them actually doing it. I can understand why, you know. that. What that is Seth Rollins' every, issue with Braun Strowman? What is every, Dean Ambrose' issue with Braun Strowman? What did Braun Strowman ever do to those two other than beat them in a well, sanctioned match that, that, in the middle of that, the ring? That's what I'm saying. Roman has his extensive background there. We did have the most recent. Right, but that is old as shit, and it's been settled, and now Roman's bringing it back up again? Like, oh, I got my two buddies now. I'm going to come kick your ass now. Well, the thing I didn't, the other thing I didn't like about there is that Roman would really go at that approach 
of, hey, let's all go get one guy ourselves, when Roman has proven that he can hang just as well one-on-one with Braun. The only other logic I could see there is you've got these three together, and in their mind, they're thinking, hey, let's go chop Let's go chop this giant down because he is on a path of destruction. It's only a matter of time before he tries to get us again, so let's get together and go get it. But I understand that's the hounds kind of mindset there. But these guys are supposed to be now your, your heroes, which that didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And then overall, I just don't I, – I am not feeling Braun – being lumped in here with with Miz and the bar and everything that's going on between these two sides. Not at all. I mean, I understand, okay, Braun's pissed off at the Shield now. He wants a shot at him. But he's going to team up with the Miz and Sheamus and Cesaro? Like, shouldn't we have seen, like, the Miz approach Braun Strowman and convince him to do this? See, that to me, that would have been an, a hell of a segment to get a – to get a great interaction between Miz, your, your cowardly heel who knows how to finagle his way around everything, who's kind of that charmer, and then your absolute just, your beast, your monster that really has no conscience or, or is going to put serious thought towards anything there. That would have been a great interaction. But also, in my mind, wouldn't Bront just say, you know what? The why do I need you three? Yeah, why do I need you three? I'm going to hunt these three dogs. I'm going to hunt these hounds down individually and make them pay on my own. Yeah, I just felt like there was a real lapse in logic there. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, effective immediately, Braun Strowman is a babyface and the shield is a heel. That's the way I saw it. That was a heel turn for the shield. You put all the sympathy on Braun. The big bad monster is now your babyface. And next week... We get Braun Strowman versus Roman Reigns inside a steel cage, six days out from the pay-per-view. I hope Strowman fucking kills him. Yeah, I've, I've, it's going to be interesting to see what other kind of twists they put into this thing, at, at least from that perspective. I'm interested, it, but, the, but the sad part of it is I'm fully expecting to be completely disappointed and not have any interest in this thing going into the TLC pay-per-view, but you know, maybe, maybe they surprise us with something here. I, right now, it is a swing and a miss for me. I am just well, that, not interested in this program. Now, here's, here's another question that just kind of popped in my head here. Let me pull it up. This, this actually is going to be contested as a TLC match, correct? Yeah. What in the hell are they going to put at the top of the ladder? Are, are the tag titles and the Intercontinental title all going to be up there? What, and do it like a crazy match like they did down at Triple Mania, where whatever title you grab is the one that you hold? I would just see them all, because we've seen them before where they kind of link the belts together. And then once, you, once one member grabs for, for their side, they claim the titles. But then you've, you've got this advantage for one side where it's four on three. You know, how do they, how do we set up? Who's taking what? If I would have Braun Strowman take the tag titles. I would make Braun Strowman his own tag team. That's some TV I could get behind. TV I can't get behind is the women's division. This Mickey and Alexa thing, man. It's cringeworthy for me. 
the whole basis of this story is bad. We've we have stressed on this, stressed on this. It's it's just lowbrow booking. It, it's getting some cheap pops out of people that just don't expect any better. They they could have done so much more with this. And instead of continuing to harp here, I'll let you jump on that. There, I got I nothing give, to say about it. I, I'm done I, I with just, this. I just want to give I want to give Mickey credit that she. I think she is doing a great job with this bullshit material that she is being handed. The one thing I will say, in listening to Mickey's promo this week, it seems like someone told her that she needs to talk slower. I think it, well that was and it comes across like she's talking to a fucking three year old. I think I think the logic there is they want to draw out her southern accent to just to again try to trigger another you know an, another angle that they could go at with trying to insult her. You know, it's no secret that within WWE there has been a long running issue that if you don't sound a certain way, if you don't have if you, know, you that, ain't a Yankee. You ain't getting over. You know, one of the one of the first names that, that comes to mind back today is Mr. Tony Schiavone. That they didn't Vince couldn't stand the way he sounded because he was too Southern ter- territory style for them. Yeah, and the thing that's hilarious is he hired Jim Ross. And that was an issue early on. Yeah, with them. yeah, it was. It sure was. And it, it finally just something that went that went wayside. The only thing that I will say good about the uh, Raw women's division is at least they got multiple segments on this show uh, because you also now know that Emma is going to be taking on Asuka at TLC. Now, all right, to get to that, though, what a clusterfuck that was. Even Mitchell Cole didn't know what the hell was going on. Well, right, you know, going into the show, it's our hyped match of the evening that we're going to get a triple threat, Alicia Fox, Emma, Nia Jax. The winner of that triple threat is is going to earn the right to go on to TLC to challenge the Raw debuting Asuka. Number one, we, never put a microphone in Alicia Fox's hand ever again. That's like fingernails on a chalkboard. You know, she, she is good in that crazy gimmick out at ringside. But, man, that, that promo she cut... Whew, that was cringe-worthy. Supersonic. No, thank you. Bad. Capital B-A-D. Bad. Are you looking forward to Emma versus Asuka? Was it the right decision to go with Emma? Would you have went with Naya, maybe what? Bailey? Well, what's, you know, when, it, when they just end up to change that up out of nowhere, you have Bailey and Banks come in and, and ask to be part of the match. They are granted that that chance. And Bailey has the worst well, line of the night. I want to give Asuka a hug. Well, and, and then and a I'll, Bailey to belly. What yeah. the? F- Shut the fuck up. So bad. The writing is terrible. Well, they, you know, a lot of people didn't even realize that Dana was still with the company. You know, she's been MIA, you know, understandably, since her fiance had passed away. I can understand a leave of absence there. If they didn't really have anything going there with her, but you know, just to reemerge like that, I, I want to give her this. I liked her new her new hair, and she, she came out, and I thought she looked great when she came out. So they're all added to the match, and then there there was never any mention of of Nia anywhere. She's she's axed from the match, 
it's pretty much announced and assumed that this is going to be a fatal five-way. And then in the match, we get a pinfall. And he, like you said, even Cole was like, well, I guess this is an elimination match now. Yeah, it, it was just confusing. And it was just dropped opportunities, man. It was just like, that's something I actually would have been more interested in. If I would have known that it was going to be an elimination match, I would have had more investment in watching it happen live rather than watching it on a DVR. And I think there was a, you know, a great premise behind it. Who's going to get this Oscar that you know, they've been running these promos for? I mean, a lot, a lot of the fan base, they do realize who she is and what she's all about, but I would say the majority of those people have never really invested much in her. It helps so that they, they really... put the Oscar collection up on the network, and it's a very well thought out and very well put together collection. One of the first but matches that... that you see when you watch it is Emma and Oscar. But going back to a you know, question here that you, you posed for, kind of went off on that rant about how we got to this. I'm not that excited for it because I think this is Emma's just the hog being sent to slaughter. Yeah, this is who's going to get their head kicked off by Asuka. And what's a shame about that is, you know, we've seen this before and this potentially could be a really entertaining match. It is. It's a really good match. But they it's did not a whole program down in NXT. And I know. It was it's fantastic. It, it, was a, it was a very good match. That could potentially be a very good match because Emma has the ring ability to actually hang with Asuka. But They're going to make it go that, two minutes. Yeah, in this narrative, it's going to be terrible. Entrances are going to be longer than, the, be than the match itself. It's going to be a squash. Bray Wyatt and Finn Balor. I know uh, you've been up on the uh, Sister Abigail thing. How's that working out for you? Hey, I've been pimping. I've been pimping the idea of Bray as Sister Abigail all along. Day one, I've been down with this, and, and and I'll stand by that. WWE is making the right decision here, and this this is all Bray's vision. Let him run with it. I know that it's taken a lot of heat from the fans. People are kind of shitting all over this, and to me, with this. And this is, this is just the fans shitting on this because it's going over their heads. Because I, I even look at the people that are having issues with this. I can follow up on things that, how they've reacted in the past. This is just going over their heads because these are the people that, are lo- that have just become accustomed to lowest common denominator booking, and they're not getting it. Here's my issue with, let's start with the Wyatt aspect of it. Just earlier in the show, we were talking about how it drives us nuts that when somebody does a run-in, they hit their music. Wyatt obviously got with somebody backstage. They put a score underneath of the damn thing. It's obviously a special effect. I would have liked to seen them do something a bit more along the lines. Like, you could have done this exact same storyline, but shoot it like... You've seen the Dark Knight, the Batman Dark Knight movie, right? When Joker is shooting his own promos on a shaky cam. Do it like that. When you start bringing in a musical score and all of these special effects, it just, it's not believable. It's not believable at all. And then I can't invest in it. 
I, I will give you, I, I probably would have preferred your style of shooting there. I wonder if this is something backstage that they have kind of reached out to Matt Hardy about. It's Tom Savini. If, if, it's Tom Savini. This screams Tom Savini. I, I'm just curious if there's something that they did reach out to, to oh, Hardy I, about. What Matt yeah, could say, do with the his, Bray Wyatt character. Just oh, my God. Brain. Just to pick his brain here. Give me Woken Matt Hardy versus Bray Wyatt and give Matt a budget and a camera and let him go. It'd be fantastic. Could, actually, that, that could be one amazing. It would be fantastic. That, that, that could be an amazing upcoming WrestleMania program. And you wouldn't be damaging Balor and making him look like a gullible freaking idiot in yeah, I the know meantime. You, I know you were kind of over the top. Like you were really, That really set you off there. So I was okay with how Finn handled himself during the in-ring portion. The in-ring part was fine. It was the nope. follow-up but, promo oh, no, backstage. No, no. Yeah, the, back, the backstage interview. They turned I mean, him into the Irish Byron Saxton. It sent a chiver up me spine. Shut up. This is terrible. Who the fuck talks like that? Who wrote this shit? Fire him. You can just start calling him Chester because that thing was cheesy as hell. Oh, it was so bad. So bad. And in order for this entire thing to work, I feel like Sister Abigail has to beat the demon. And once you beat the demon, you can't unbeat the demon. It just... Everything well, about we, this. We, 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 we just can sit on that. I want, some t- I want some time to ponder that. How can both of these, both of these talents get out of here and save some face? Hey, right, well, well, let's, let's revisit. Let's revisit because I'm sure it'll we'll, it'll be on the talking points next week. But let's make a point to try to talk about how we could get both of these guys out of here. What's saving saving some face? There was a thread that went up in the WrestleZone discussion group. I think William put it up. Wanting to know what Finn Balor has come to the conclusion that he has to do to take out Bray Wyatt. Now, <clears throat> I'm sorry. I, I, I'll just start laughing and, and joking there. Did That's, you see some of those responses? No, I, I did see this. What, what killed me with that backstage interview was that, you know, and I understand the commentators are supposed to give, oh, what's, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Oh, come on. Common sense is common sense. We, we all know what it means when he takes it to the next level now how far does that go you know even they should start is the is the demon enough we've seen him go to the next level is that enough is there another level of the demon is there another transformation originally the original idea for the paint when finn was in japan was finn wanted to be painted black from head to toe and basically wrestle as a shadow. That would be kind of cool. For this program. I could see that working. The shadow versus Sister Abigail. Regardless, I feel like Balor's getting reduced to the mid card, and I don't like that. No. I, I would I would say that's where he belongs, but I'm never going to deny the dude's popularity, so I know there's money to be had in him, and he is talented. So it, even it gets what I would personally want if I had any kind of stroke there. And it's just one of the things you got to you got to move to the front. The only other thing worth talking about on Monday Night Raw 
Enzo versus the Cruiserweights. So there is positive news when it comes to Enzo. Here are the numbers the last four weeks when it comes to the drop-off in the third hour for the main event. 591,000 when all this started. 553,000. 326,000. And now, 297,000. Is this working? Is this actually working? Hey, the numbers... The numbers support it. And for all those that, that want to sit there and say that that he isn't a star, that the casuals aren't into him, that the hardcores aren't into him, those numbers prove otherwise. Because for a long time, that third hour, the drop has been huge. And the third, and we've even seen it where they've almost but given up on that third hour. They're booking their main storylines in the first two. And the main point of each show is usually over by, you know, that 15-minute run over into when that third hour begins. Hey, he's doing something here. I, I, and, I did, and this is why I did not understand the shakeup in switching that title over and, take, and taking away that heat from Enzo. So Kalisto takes the Cruiserweight Championship from Enzo. Where to even begin with this decision? Well, I, I know it, this is a hard pill for people to swallow, but this was a PR move. I completely agree. I completely agree. And especially everything that we have learned backstage since. I really need a timeline of events. I wish somebody could supply that. Well, everything, and I assume you're, that you're, you're kind of alluding towards what we've learned about about what Neville, we've learned and about a, Neville, um, and if there's, if everything is so conflicting right now about what's going on with that situation. It's it's really it's hard to make heads or tails out of it. Yeah, as as we speak right now, it's about six ten p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So if you need a timeline for our events, that's kind of where we're at. Um, I haven't heard much of anything new. For those who haven't heard, Neville supposedly walked out of Monday Night Raw and has asked for his release. That cannot be confirmed by anybody at least speaking on the record from what I have seen. I have seen it confirmed that, yes, Neville walked out of Monday Night Raw, not that he has asked for his release. Neville also was not on 205 Live. I'm really hoping Neville didn't ask for his release. There was that he walked out, that he has requested it, you know, WWE's denying anything that happened there. The WWE know, is actually denying that he has asked for his release, but we've yeah. seen him do that before. Correct. And the only thing that we that we know for sure is that he was not present on. He was obviously missing. That was one of the first things that that I had noticed. We sure both noted that, that that he was not there on Raw, and then he was not there on Tuesday. Evidently, the original plan was Neville was supposed to lose to Enzo on Monday Night Raw in a Lumberjack match. We also know that that match was changed to Kalisto and Kalisto winning the Cruiserweight title. We also know that Neville walked out. We do not know the course of events. Which one happened first? What, what actually throws me off here, though, is even going back 
to the previous episode, it makes sense. It makes more sense for Kalisto to be in that match because he was just introduced as the newest member of the division. Kalisto's the who, only one that can touch him. Correct. So that made sense for him to be in that match. What I am guessing what happened here is maybe the plan, because they knew going in, maybe the plan was, yes, to have Kalisto go over on this October 8th edition of Raw. Because one, you have, you have Eddie Guerrero's birthday. You can tie his, you know, Kalisto's mass style, lucha style in with Rey Mysterio. We've got, this is the last Monday Night Raw during Hispanic Heritage Month. You've got a lot of those things working in the favor of a nice little PR story and a nice little boost behind Kalisto, who, let's face it, needed something along those lines because he is not getting a reaction. He is not over with this fan base. They, need, they needed something to lift him up here. What I think, and then somewhere along those lines, Neville got pissed off, but I think that spot that Ali filled where he caused you know, the, the brawl outside and caused a distraction, maybe that was meant for, for Neville. But then again on that, I don't know if, if it's all got changed last minute, and then that fight outside was just to, to reestablish that there are good guys and bad guys, forces of good and villains in that division, because the last two weeks, you know, it's just kind of been everyone against Enzo. I agree with you. I think this is Jinder Mahal 2.0. For those of you who don't know, Kalisto is from fucking Chicago, not Mexico City. Now, now hold on here. I saw you had that on there, so so I went... He was born in Chicago, but... He, he is a second-generation Mexican-American, born in Chicago, but he spent the first five years of his life living in Mexico City. I just don't buy it, man. I think this is nothing more than them trying to tap into that Latino market during Hispanic Heritage Month. It's all Jinder Mahal 2.0, and I hate it. Because I well, know, you know Enzo's winning this title back at TLC. You're just playing off the Hispanic, the Hispanic heritage there. Yep, that's because all it even, is. Well, no, because, and I, I don't think it's going to be a long time. I don't think they're going to try to push it here like, like gender where they're going to try to hit that mass market again. I think it was just from that feel-good moment. Because that, and this is weird to me. I guess I could just Google it, but I've always wondered why, why is Hispanic Heritage Month, why is it, start in the middle of September and end in the middle of October. Why isn't it designated like its own entire like month month? Like you see with so many other of our heritage celebrations. I got nothing. I got nothing. It just, it just seems, no it seems strange to me. I speak more Japanese than I do Spanish. Well, anyway, going, going back to it, I just feel making the move that it killed a lot of Enzo's heat. And we, we see through those numbers they're proving. We see through their actions. And his character, he's the star power. And he's bringing focus to that division. I think he gets, a, I think he gets the title back at TLC. I just hope that they haven't, you know, stumbled their progression with what they have with him. So Neville walks out. If... If this is true, what do you see happening to 205 Live? Because, I mean, regardless, if Enzo's the champ, 
Kalisto's the champ. Neville is the cornerstone of that division. Where do they go from here? Or do they not? Do we just cut our losses and say, I was right again, damn it. These little guys just can't get over. I don't think they will do it at this point. I mean, they have some easy programming. And I I don't think anybody in that company wants to give up this quick on on the division or the show. They just need they need to find those characters that can complement that style and, and really make a folk a focus on just bringing everything to life down there. I, I don't know who I would really want to look into. Here's who's in charge of creative with that show. Do they get lumped in with the other writing team and all that? As almost far like- as I know, I mean, if it was me, that's I was actually going to make this point. Whoever is in charge of the creative for 205 Live, and I don't care if it's Vince, needs to be taken off of that program and put somebody like Jamie Noble or J- Jimmy Jacobs in charge of that show. Who would be, and, and let them just concentrate on that. Yeah, and let them that, just that is, do 205 Live. That is their baby. Let because them run right something now, like that. That show just, it's dead in the water. And, and, and I like your suggestion there. You got, you put those two together. You got, you got Jacob that's, that's got that great mind for something like that. But, and, you know, he's young enough. He knows that style. He knows what they're going to want. And then you got somebody like Noble who's got that great foundation and tradition, who has seen it work before. And, and you've got two other... I put in charge of 205 Live, and I bet you that show turns around. And then, I don't know, maybe as a consultant there, I, I'm pretty certain that Dean Malenko is still on staff with WWE. Yeah, one of the greatest cruiserweights of all time. Who was a foundation of one of the few cruiserweight divisions that ever worked in America. See, and while I agree the WCW Cruiserweight division worked, the WCW Cruiserweight division was also your opening match on the card, holy shit, did you just see what that guy did, match. That's how guys like Rey Mysterio and Juventud Guerrera got over, was by having matches that were just, holy shit, did you just see that, at the beginning of Nitro. And it took Ray a decade to get over. Yeah, Ray had a great run in the WWE, but Jesus Christ, how long did we know who Ray Mysterio was before he got that great run? Well, that was a lot because those guys were never going to rise above, above a certain level in WCW because of the good old boy network that was in place there. And to me, it, it was so much more than those matches because even if, even if it wasn't just Mike Skills, they could tell stories inside that ring. You, you felt characters like a Laparka or a Psychosis who didn't need what we would consider a traditional, you know, that traditional superstar formula to get themselves over. They actually had character. They had, they had the body language that lets you connect with them. And then also in that division, we did have some other good characters. You, you know, yeah, Eddie was always a character. Jericho was a, a big part of that. Even guy, Alex Wright, Disco Inferno, they had something there they could contribute to that division. Now it's just like a generic cookie cutter formula. I, I don't feel like no one really stands out. 
except for Neville. And there's already rumors of another possibility that could be coming to the WWE. We'll get to that in, in segment two. Do you want to do a segment two right now, or let's let's keep let's keep cruising through, man? Because we have got an hour and a half before game time here. Oh, an hour and a half. Okay, can I have a smoke first? All right. How about it? We'll do a brief intermission. Yeah, give me like three minutes, and I'll hoof down a cigarette quick because I'm having a nick fit. All right, man. Uh, I will go drain the vein and fill up my water. We'll meet you back here in three. Sounds good. All right. Are you in? Are you out? 
Go ahead with segment two then. Jump into some jump into some King of Pro Wrestling, New Japan. Live from the Tokyo Sumo Hall, sold out. Where the sport is your entertainment. Sold out there. Just kind of uh this is it just popped to me. It's kind of interesting. We had held a cell, which was not a cell, you can just tell the, the size and arenas that they're performing in right here. We had over the 16,000 at Hell in a Cell, and it looks like the attendance here was 9,234. Not a bad house. Now, this is one of their bigger shows, but that's not a bad house for the number two company. Hell of a lot better than 500 Impact Wrestling. Well, look at your difference here. There was a couple thousand seats or more. You know, there was probably 55 to 6,000 seats probably available at Hell in a Cell. Capacity at this arena here is only 11,000, so you're just short of 2,000, and that's, that's just the capacity. I don't know what the, what the wrestling capacity is. That's just a, for a different configuration. So, When we decided that we were going to talk about this show, uh, I went back and watched it with English commentary, because I normally watch it with Japanese commentary. I've gotten to where I really like the Japanese commentary. Uh, but welcome back, Don Callis, to commentary. He was missing there for a couple of shows. He adds so much to the product. He's the announcer I never knew I wanted. I, I and I, I, when I went through it, it was all with the English commentary. And starting to watch him through New Japan, I have a, a, a such a greater appreciation for what he brings to the table uh, and how talented he is in that role. I was never a big fan of Kevin Kelly. I always thought he was carried by the color guy, but he does a really good job. I enjoy I Kevin this, Kelly. This team, they just, you know, they fly under the radar. They have great interaction with one another. Still and not and as good as Kelly and Carino. That was my favorite pairing. But Callis is really coming along. Well, this was a pretty, pretty exciting event. Some big matches going on here. This was a really, really solid show. Even the undercard tag matches I thought were really well done. Show kicks off with the Bullet Club, the murderous bastard, Bad Luck Fale, the Tokyo Pimp, Yujiro Takahashi, Leo Tonga, the young boy, versus Los Ingobernables, Hiromu, Bushi, and Sonata. This match was based around one thing, and it was justice for Daryl. For those of you who missed it months ago, the murderous bastard, Bad Luck Fale, tore up Hiromu's pet cat, Daryl. Stuffed cat. And finally, Daryl has reemerged. Did you at least enjoy this match? I thought this I, match was fun. I did. It was a great fun opener. It sets, sets a tone that you're going to have an entertaining evening. Now, I, I want to ask, with, with ripping up Daryl, is that where... Uh, the fashion files, did they directly lift that from this situation here when they had Tully get ripped up by Arn? I think they had to. 
I think they had to. Daryl Takahashi is one of the most over characters that New Japan has, and he's a freaking stuffed cat. And Hiromu, without any question, is the rookie of the year. The year that Hiromu Takahashi has had has been incredible. Well, what you have here in this opener, you know, as you, you kind of mentioned before, you don't want to really set a tone that's too high for everything else on your card. This was just was what it should have been. It's a fun opener that, that gets you in a mood to be entertained. Leo Tonga thing- is still a young lion. That guy's going to be a monster. He's a great big tall one that kind of looks like uh, Tim Duncan. Another one of the damn Tongans. Haku can't keep it in his pants. One thing I did take away as a foreshadowing moment in this match. Who would win in a headbutt contest? A Tongan or a Samoan? Any predictions? Man. Are they hit, is it, they're just like squaring off against each other? Or are they going to be headbutting like random things like coconuts know, or bowl, bowling balls and football helmets? So, you know, they're just going to be crushing things or crushing in each other. Bad luck Fale with them headbutts. Holy crap. I love that Hiromu went right after Fale, too. Like, he was finally going to get justice. Hiromu's like maybe a third of the size of bad luck Fale. Hilarious. And then Daryl with the distraction. Bushi with the miss to the eyes for the win. Bad Luck Fale looked like he just seen a ghost. He sold the shit out of that. It was fantastic. Just enough comedy with just enough seriousness. I thought it was a hell of an opening match. Suzuki and Zack Sabre Jr. versus Goto and Yano. Kevin Kelly really put over in the commentary the record that Yano has against Minoru Suzuki. Suzuki, the most terrifying man on the face of the planet. Yano, probably the biggest comedy wrestler on the planet. And yet Yano has like seven wins over Minoru Suzuki now. Absolutely hilarious. It sounds like, at Power Struggle, we're going to get Suzuki versus Yano in a bull rope match for the never open weight title. I cannot that, that imagine would, what those two guys are going to do. I just, you know, aside of what they're going to come up with, man, that, that one could get really violent. And really funny at the same time. Yeah. Well, see, all right. So that's you put down the New, the new Day match there earlier because we got violence and comedy. And now you're praising here. You're right. I'm very inconsistent. But you know what you're not going <laughs> to see? You know what you're not going to see? A rainbow kendo stick. Come the fuck on. Who came up with that? A rainbow kendo stick. Marketing. Somewhere Sandman and Tommy Dreamer cried themselves to sleep the other night. Marketing, marketing. The Funky Future versus Rapungi 3K. Rapungi 3K re- have been revealed to be the Tempora Boys back from Excursion. The crowd was very excited to see Yao and Chow. Uh, Funky Future losing the titles here. In Rapungi 3K's debut, what I really took away from this was Ricochet at the end of the match. As he was leaving, he stopped and he took a look around and he took it all in. Like that might be the last time he's in Tokyo Sumo Hall. 
I wasn't really buying into the rumors, but that kind of made me buy into the rumor. Oh, but certainly that's going to fuel all the speculation, especially with you know his commitments to Lucha Underground coming up. And it'll be sometime in early 2017 he'd be available to report to the Performance Center, correct? Yep. Early 2018. 2018, yes. I'm sorry. I'm going back in time. Got my uh, flux capacitor up. Uh, you know what I took away from here? It's what blows me away any time that I watch what their junior heavyweights do, opposed to what I see presented from the Western major promotions. Yeah, if you compare 205 Live to the IWGP Junior division, it's night and day. The juniors over there, but they're still treated. I mean, this is very early on the card. And it's right. like, holy shit, did you see what they just did? I would even say that they're night and day. These are like on two different planets. It's two just it's booked completely differently. But I mean, th- that match really picks up when Ricochet gets in there. Uh the only other thing that I really took away from it is it was a little too much Lucha inside of Japan for me. There was not a whole lot of psychology to the match. That, uh, the Rapungi 3k, which is very much like, a, it's like a 3d combined with a flatliner is a really cool move. Looking forward to seeing what they do with the Tempora boys and Rapungi 3K. Rocky Romero makes them look like a star anyway. Then you had the uh, IWGP heavyweight tag team championship match. Gorillas of Destiny, Killer Elite Squad, War Machine. Uh, this was an elimination match. Killer Elite Squad hits Hansen with a kill bomb through a Japanese table that doesn't break for the win. It was just kind of there. I'm not really into any of these teams right at the moment, but I love watching Tamatanga in the ring. See, I, I'm a fan of, of each team. I enjoyed this matchup here. Just some good. It's just, just this big... is the whole division. It's it's the same problem right. that the WWE has right now. I, I'm, I'm just tired of seeing this combination of these teams. Killer Elite Squad just came back, and I'm already tired of seeing them again. Well, there you go. Because it's, I mean, obviously you're more exposed to these guys than I am. And, you know, on a, on a show or, or promotion that I do not follow as strictly as you do, I, I know these names. I've got a little invested behind them. So I enjoyed it. it was, I thought it was some good hard-hitting action. Marty Skrull, Kenny Omega, and Cody versus Yoshihashi, Beretta, and Jado. Uh, immediately, it becomes clear that we have comedy version of Kenny Omega, Cody, and Marty. That's their role on the show. And immediately, I'm turned off. I think uh, you and Mr. Cornette are starting to wear off on me. I was going to say, I felt really let down here that this was the route they went. There's certainly a time where I enjoy their comedy and being the elite. But in a situation like this, I was really hoping to see the serious side and see. Well, Kenny Omega is just not taking Yoshihashi seriously as a contender for the U.S. title. And he has no reason to take Yoshihashi seriously as a contender for the title. I don't think any of us are taking Yoshihashi seriously as a contender for the title. Uh, I did like the one finger too sweet. Took note of that. Uh, I did notice 
commentary put over the challenge between Cody and Daniel Bryan. Did you catch that? I did. I did pick up on it. Bullet Club with the win. Marty taps out Jado. I love Cody having keep people kiss the ring as he's making his exit. Cody's character work is on point, but I mean, his best move in that whole match was the two boots, four boots. Didn't need much out of him there. He's biding his time. He's just, he's doing what he needs to do to, to stay atop. And we all know that he is my, is, he is currently my favorite, favorite character in the world of professional wrestling. Then we come to intermission. I love that they do intermission on these shows. Uh, coming back out, though, they lead with Juice Robinson and Kota Ibushi versus Hiroshi Tanahashi and Togi Makabe. I still think that the Intercontinental title match should have been on this show rather than saving it for power struggle. I don't even think the crowd knew why Makabe and Juice were in this match. It was just the crowd was there. We're coming back from intermission. People kind of filing in. Just kind of warm it back up. And I think Ibushi and Tanahashi both deserve better than that. That's, maybe that's just my opinion. But there's a, a, a kick sequence, though, that Ibushi delivered to Tanahashi that I would rather take the kendo stick spot that the Usos gave to Xavier Woods than those kicks. They sounded like freaking gunshots going off. It was a fine match. Didn't do anything for any of the four guys. Juice pins Makabe. Keeps building a little bit of momentum. I love that Juice always gets so excited when he wins a match. Find that entertaining. Then we come to what was everything that 205 wishes that it was. Kushida versus Will Ospreay. I know you had a chance to check this match out. Oh, yeah. Most certainly, you know... I know you're not a fan of the flippy shit, but God damn, these two are just awesome together. Well, it, when you get behind it, it's just, it came off where it just wasn't senseless movements. Like, I felt like there was something at, at stake here besides just telling me, like, I could feel the tension between the two. And that's because, you know, they've had things going on here, and, and Catman Dude gets that big moment. Even during the entrances, Osprey comes out dressed as Spider Man, which I thought was hilarious. Speaking of, uh, you know, ripping off intellectual property, Osprey like, didn't even hide it. He was Spider-Man. But as he's making his entrance, commentary puts over this story. This is the fourth time Osprey has faced Kushida, and he's lost every time. And they completely put that story over. The last time they met in Japan was when Kushida won the Best of the Super Juniors. And from the second the bell rings, it is fast-paced, high-flying, flippy-floppy, physicality. The only thing was you didn't get a whole lot of selling. That's kind of the rip on Osprey, though. What did you think of this match? At this point, you know, you come to expect it out of there. The, the no selling is part of the act. Uh, it's embracing that other side that that I'm often so on that kind of bashes it. But when I come into a when I come into a situation like this, yeah, I have to readjust my views and and be able to to open my mind to these different styles. I, I had some fun with it, and it might be that I'm not as heavily invested in New Japan as as say yourself. 
But I, I had fun here. There's a lot of throwbacks to things throughout different matches. Uh, there's another homage to Daniel Bryan on this show as Kushida puts Osprey into the cattle mutilation, which commentary proudly puts over. Is there something to this Bryan I, I was, New Japan hey thing? Hey, man, I, it, was, it was just about ready to come out of my mouth. It's almost as if they know what they're doing. That they're just biding their time. The closing sequence is a pump handle into a tombstone position into a double knee gut buster into a Spanish fly DDT. <laughs> just ridiculous stuff. Osprey ends up winning. After the match, Hiromu comes out. Of course, we've had the entire ongoing story with Hiromu trying to convince Will Osprey that he is a cat. Yes, that's a real storyline in Japan, and people bought into it wholeheartedly. Hiromu comes out, pets Osprey, pets Beltsan. Well, see, what I really liked here too is if you've got you've got some different stories going on that you can get into. And find emotion and, and, and invest yourself into going all going on around this thing. Marty comes out, interrupts Hiromu's challenge before Hiromu can say anything. Breaks Hiromu's fingers. Hiromu flops around on the canvas like a freaking fish out of water. While Skrull and Osprey just stand there and have a conversation. And it is announced that Marty Skrull will be facing Will Osprey for the junior heavyweight title coming up at Power Struggle. That match is going to be awesome. Poor Hiromu. This has been going on. I believe this is the third time now that Hiromu has come out to challenge the champion only to be knocked out or injured somehow. And somebody steals his title shot. Regardless of who the champion is, pretty sure Hiromu is going to get his shot at Wrestle Kingdom. Then we have Ishii and Nato. After watching this match, I had to lower my rating on Hell in a Cell because this match was freaking incredible. Yeah, and actually, uh, I did some research on this one because I, you know, I was following up. I constantly ask you about if anyone had ever successfully taken those rights away. Yep. And it, you, that you, you didn't think it was going to happen here, but I was very intrigued about the, you know, the, the potential of it going down. And I wanted to make sure that I was invested, that if it, it actually had happened, that I would remember as a part of history. Incredible match. And at, in the end, we didn't see history being made. We, we saw the right gentleman going over. They even teased some tension inside of Los and Gobernables on social media between Evil and NATO. Uh, the story was LIJ all went out for dinner and NATO stuck uh, evil with the bill and said, I already know that I'm facing Okada. You're not winning that match. Oh, man, a little shit talking going on with the boys. Little shit talking going on inside of LIJ. Uh, the crowd very much behind NATO here. But Ishii is just incredible. That guy has had an incredible year, and it seems like all he does is lose. I expect big things from Tomohiro Ishii in 2018. But there's so many stories going on here at this point. Um, 
I'd rather be hit with a, the entire marching band underneath of the ring at Hell in a Cell than get chomped in the throat by Tomohiro Ishii. I can tell you that. I asked you earlier who would win in a headbutt contest, a Tongan or a Samoan. The answer is Tomohiro Ishii. We have a new challenger. <laughs> I loved uh, when NATO went for the Tranquilo pose at the very beginning of the match and Ishii jumped in the ring and just beat the shit out of him. Because that's something that I've wondered for months why somebody doesn't do that to NATO. Ishii goes in for a brain buster. NATO counters into a destino. NATO goes for another destino. Ishii counters it into a brain buster. Incredible hard-hitting action between these guys. And then you watch Hell in a Cell, and it's just disappointing. Well, it's just different styles. It's, know, just... it's very different styles. Like I said, the sport is the entertainment over there. Then you get a IWGP champion vignette where they show you the pictures of every IWGP champion. I love that. Because we've got quite a bit of a history in the making coming up here, correct? So here's the deal with this match. If Okada wins this match, he becomes the longest reigning IWGP champion in history at the age of 29. Okada has had this title for 480 days at this point. And can you believe that somebody had the testicular fortitude to tell me in a thread the other day that Okada is not the top guy in Japan? So from now on, every Kazuchika Okada match, I'm going to refer to as the Fuck You Dan match. I don't block a whole lot of people, but man, when you make outrageously stupid comments like that, gone. So then, in addition to this, didn't you didn't you put the put some math together that this not just this milestone for Okada, but looking forward to early next year that there there's something else that he could achieve? My friends Amanda and Denny over in another group that I follow called Pro Wrestling Talk Now and Then. We talk a lot of Japanese stuff over there. If you're interested in New Japan, look that group up. They actually dug this number up, and I just straight ganked it from them. Assuming that Okada wins this match, he's going to go into Wrestle Kingdom as champion. He will tie Hiroshi Tanahashi's record for the number of days holding the IWGP championship. That's on, combined, combined days, correct? Combined days on January 4th. That's the date of Wrestle Kingdom. Now talk about some foresight. So you're telling me Okada has been not only the champion for a year and a half, but he is in a storyline that was planned out a year and a half ahead of time only to further another story that is the story between Tanahashi and Okada, which has been 
the rivalry of rivalry up to this point. They're hoping that NATO takes that crown from Tanahashi and that NATO and Okada is the big program going forward for the next decade. Incredible stuff from Ghetto. He's a masterful motherfucker. That guy knows how to book a goddamn wrestling show. But just imagine if, if you put all that work into a, into a guy that's not even your top star. Try to tell me Kenny Omega is the top star <laughs> in Japan. Like a gaijin is going to be the top star uh, in Japan. I love Kenny, but I mean, come on. Jesus Christ. Going into this match, it seemed like a foregone conclusion Okada was going to win this thing. Were there any near falls that you legitimately thought, oh my God, evil has him here? This, this is one of those that with all that history in the making, while they were exciting near falls, even as an outsider, I, you know, I, was, I, I wasn't really buying into it. This is one of those you just, you know what, what the outcome is. You know what the destination, so just sit back and enjoy the ride. The fact that they still went like 38 minutes, and you knew how this match was going to go, that it was going to somehow be Okada in the end. I mean, they did a really good job of building evil, and evil definitely comes out of this program and, and I, and I think knowing way that better. Stack, I think knowing that stack kind of you know, ruined this for me. Because they do, they have done a tremendous job building up to where Evil had Okada's number, and not only that, but you know Okada's been showing cracks in, in many other areas of his game, where you start questioning does he still have it? I thought both guys looked great in this match. I mean, they made it as believable as they possibly could. Well, just just this idea for an event like this, we are moving forward, where you, you create two superstars. Or ele- not even create, but you elevate your superstars, each of them together, instead of one having to act as a sacrificial lamb. 1,358 days will be Okada's total time as champion going into Wrestle Kingdom. Tying Tanahashi. Does NATO deny him? breaking Tanahashi do they want him tied or do they want Okada to win because it seemed like a foregone conclusion NATO was going to win at Wrestle Kingdom now Okada has a incentive to win and continue this incredible title reign I don't know how to call Wrestle Kingdom at this point I thought it was going to be NATO now maybe they just keep going with fucking Okada And I'm saying for those out there that want some great classic storytelling, you need to jump on board and and follow this program heading into into January. Coming up at Power Struggle, we're going to have, finally, Tanahashi versus Ibushi, Osprey versus Skrull, Suzuki and Yano in the bull rope match. They're also doing a Super Junior Tag Tournament. I assume that the winner of that will face Rapungi 3K at Wrestle Kingdom. This brings us to my personal favorite segment that we do here on the show. We like to call it Undertaker Watch 34.
Wizard World Incorporated has announced that WWE superstar The Undertaker will attend Wizard World Comic Con in Oklahoma City for a single day appearance on Saturday, October 28th. You know somebody's going to ask him, what's going on for Mania? We're all over it. Stay tuned to Undertaker Watch. The Bradley Cooper story continues, Rick. PW Insider is reporting that Bradley Cooper is awaiting an updated version of the script for Pandemonium so he can make his decision if he's going to play Vince McMahon. I still can't believe that this is even, unless there has been a major overhaul, and they've they've got someone that knows what the hell they're doing behind this project. I mean, this script is such a joke. I I don't even know how someone in in good conscience gives this to a star of Bradley Cooper's magnitude, or just gives it actually to anyone. It really strikes me like they're offering Bradley Cooper a lot of money to do this. And Bradley Cooper read the script and he went, you're fucking kidding me, right? That's what I take away from this story. I, yeah. I cannot believe that this is even being talked about. If this happens, I think I might lose a little bit of respect for Bradley Cooper. And I really enjoy his flip. Films. I think this, this, I, I think this is more of one of those situations where it's just it's become news to us because we're right there on the pulse of professional wrestling. You know, there's probably thousands upon thousands of scripts that are kicked around like this that fall in someone's lap that go nowhere that are dead from the get go. In the grand scheme of things, I'm getting the feeling here that this is along those lines, or at least I'm most certainly. Hoping that it's along those lines. I really hope it's along those lines. GFW has launched their streaming service, $7.99 price point, so Rick can go back and watch all those old episodes of Impact that he loves so much. What do you think, hey. Rick? Are you signing up hey, for man. are you signing up for the network? $7.99 price point? Hey, you say that sarcastically. I am going I'm gonna jump on this free trial period. Uh, it's got two good points. You know, it sounds as if the new impacts will be available close to their original air times, if not day of. And there is quite a bit in that vault going back to the early, early days and the X Division when it was really taking off when you had Christopher Daniels, AJ Styles, Samoa Joe, Ealer Skipper, you know, much younger versions of some of the guys that are around there now. I want to go check those things out. Check out some of the asylum, asylum, asylum days. I think you can watch everything important within inside 30 days. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying there. I don't know if I'm going to actually stick with it. And what else, which was probably going to help me make that decision even more, is some big news with uh, Twitch TV. You know, they've already got Wrestle Circus. They've got House of Glory. They're soon going to be airing House of Hardcore, and they have so much other content, and that's only four ninety nine a month. Interesting. 
Interesting. The the streaming service battles continue. Star Wars The Last Jedi trailer is out. I was a little bit curious before the show, so I looked it up. The Shield reunion had 4.6 million viewers on YouTube, according to the WWE official account. The new Star Wars trailer, 21 million views. So what this tells Rick and I, that there's Star Wars nerds 5 to 1 over wrestling nerds. We got to step up our game, people. Step up. No, our it game. just tells me that in the nerd kingdom, that when it comes to the wrestling nerds, that we are only a fifth of the population, opposed to the grand scale things. I, I have never seen an entire Star Wars movie from start to finish. It's just never been something that's appealed to me. You've never seen a Star Wars movie. I've seen bits and pieces. I have a vague idea of what's going on in the story, but I've never have been able to sit down and watch one from start to end. I'm not sure there's going to be an episode eight, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not sure I can be friends with somebody who doesn't love Star Wars. I don't get it, man. I think outside, I, for the most part, all of my nerdum is is professional wrestling and maybe a little Dragon Ball Z. I'm going to just ignore that last comment because otherwise I'm going to go off for another hour and a half. <laughs> hey, we do not have an hour and a half. We have got uh, another score to, to see be settled tonight. It is a do or die, win or go home up here on the, on the shores of northern Ohio. Now, I just want to be clear. On the last episode, somebody was talking mad shit when Cleveland was up two games to nothing. And somebody else said, wait till we get back to the boogie down. We'll see what happens. What happened up in the boogie down, Rick? Hey, there's a, there's, that is in the past. We, uh, we're not playing any good small ball. We're living off that long ball. Pitching, uh, you got that, that one was fine. It was a nice pitcher's duel. Man, Monday night. Monday night was rough. Um, but hey, we got, we're back at home. The tribe is back in the land. We are still destined for ultimate greatness this year. And it just, it's just going to be in a, just a sweeter moment that we're going to be able to just take away that victory from you. You, You're behated, behated New York Yankees. I, uh, of course, you know, being the stats guy, I had to look up a couple of numbers here. Uh, Just in case you were curious, history is on the Yankees' side. Of the 15 teams that have come back from an 0-2 hole and a best-of-five, nine have went on to win the series. The Yankees got to Kluber in Game 2. Sabathia seems to uh, have the Indians' number before Joe pulled them out early. I would also like to say, Joe Girardi managed the worst game of his life in Game 2. This series should be over. We should be on our way to Houston. Your asses should be sitting on the couch. If the Yankees lose this game, I half expect Joe Girardi to be fired, and that's going to be a goddamn travesty. All that said, good luck. Roll Tribe! My match of the week, I'm going to go back to uh, Ladder War from Final Battle 2012, Kevin Steen versus El Generico. If you want to see... the uh, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn rivalry at a tight, I would consider that a tight. 
Hey, I've actually got one myself. I, I mentioned it earlier in, in the show very, at the very beginning, and it, it reminded me just how good the match was and both of the talents, the talents were, and I, and I would encourage everyone to go back and, and really pay attention to it. Just not the spots, but just the nuances. It, their complete interaction with each other, those, the cameramen in the ring, the officials, and of course I'm talking about the original Hell in a Cell at Bad Blood, the birth of Kane, the match between... Shawn Michaels, and The Undertaker. God, that was a great match. So that's it for Episode 7. Coming up next week, we've got uh, The Young Lion Cup, the best of the uh, red and blue, not to mention it's the go-home show for TLC already, as if we didn't just have a pay-per-view. Be sure to follow the show on Twitter at HTMPWPod. We're actually using that now because it's linked to our Facebook page. Find the show on Facebook at backslash Hitting the Marks. Drop us an email at hittingthemarks at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe to Hitting the Marks on iTunes or Podbean so that you never miss an episode. Drop us that five-star Meltzer review. You can find me across all social media platforms at NotJargo. Rick, how do the stalkers find you? Well, first I want to remind everyone that if they, if they like free merchandise, especially free professional wrestling t-shirts, to head on over to our Facebook page. Once again, that's over at facebook.com forward slash hitting the marks. When we get to 100 likes on that page, we're going we're gonna to select one lucky follower, one lucky fan. And we're going to let you pick out a t-shirt over at prowrestlingtees.com. We're going to pick up the tab for you and have that sent over to you. That's going to happen when we get to 100 likes over on our Facebook page. As always, you can find me over on Twitter at TheRealRBV. If you're uh, kind of just floating around on Facebook, go over and check out the WrestleZone discussion group. Always some great chatter going on in there. Currently, we've got a little fun interactive tournament going on, which is our Heenan Family Classic. We've taken the best of the best from the Heenan family over the years, and they've paired off. This is going to be released on Thursday, and we've got some quarterfinal matches ending tonight, so we're going to be starting, starting our semifinals tomorrow, so you want to be over and keep an eye out for that. And make sure to join us before TLC for our WWE pay-per-view Pick'em Challenge. Special programming note, and Rick is learning this in real time because I haven't told him yet. Next week's show is going to be recorded on Thursday and be available next Friday rather than recorded on Wednesday and released Thursday because I'm going to see 311 next Wednesday night. Also of note... We'll be back a week from Saturday with our Be the Booker Around the Pool edition for TLC. Be sure that you look out for all episodes of Hitting the Marks on Podbean and iTunes. All right, everyone, that's it for this week. We're off like a prom dress. Oh, yeah, go Yankees. See ya. Go
Violet! 